So good to be together today. My name is Andrew, and I'm one of the elders here. And today I get to uh, continue our series that we're calling Focus. If you've been with us for the last few weeks or longer, you know that we are taking a break. We've been plodding through Luke, one verse at a time, one chapter at a time. And we're kind of taking a a five-week break from that during the summer to talk about our revamped mission and vision here at our church. So if you are new to Christianity or if you're new to our church, this is actually perfect uh, because you get to hear some of the bigger things that we care about as Christians, some of the bigger things that we care about at our church. And um, one thing that we've been doing together uh, that might feel weird is that we've been repeating it every Sunday. Repetition is good to let words sink into our hearts. So if we could see it up here. Um, it is coming. Yep, that's you. Uh, so um, let's say this together. Our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. I tried to, I was trying to tell this to somebody uh, recently this week, and I stumbled over it. So repetition is good. Uh, repetition helps us. Um, So three weeks ago, Don started off the series by talking about the love of Jesus, how we're to be rooted and grounded and everything we do is to be informed and to flow through the love of Jesus. And then after that, he preached on um, uh, making disciples from Matthew, how we we talked about how God's mission is our purpose. And that's what our purpose is as individuals and as the church. And then last week, David preached on rest from Hebrews. Uh, We talked about how um, uh, the Christian life actually begins with resting uh, in Jesus, resting uh, in his work and from our own work. So today, as we're kind of going down this this line, um, today we're going to talk about walking. And we're going to do that by looking at Colossians 3. So if you have, I would highly encourage you to pull out some kind of Bible, um, even if you don't have like a a hard copy or um, an app on your phone, maybe pull up the internet. internet. Uh, When we do, when we work through scripture here on Sunday morning, we want to look at the details. We want to see what God is saying. Um, So you will enjoy your time more this morning if you have something in front of you. And as you pull that up, um, I kind of want to, Uh, think about walking here as you look at this statement maybe something that you're thinking is um you've you've picked some fairly boring words for us here uh walking is is that is that the most exciting thing that you could that you could say you you couldn't even say speed walking it was just walking um but what we see in the bible is that uh very simple human pictures actually point to really deep spiritual realities we kind of saw that with rest Last week, David helped us see that. And today we're going to kind of see that with walking. Walking is a very normal, very mundane activity that most, the majority of people do. What kinds of things do we do when we're walking or after we walk or before we walk? We do just about everything. Walking is, for the majority of us, walking is kind of how humans do life. So maybe you've heard, you are what you eat, or you are the sum of your attention, Um, In the Bible, you are where you walk. Walking is a common biblical expression. Um, The Bible kind of picks up on the regularity of walking. And in the Bible, walking is uh, a person's lifestyle is pictured as the road one travels along. A person's lifestyle is pictured as a road that one travels along. It's a little bit like the cliche, life is a journey, except in the Bible... Life is a journey that takes place on one of two paths. The path that's in the way of the Lord 
and the path that is not in the way of the Lord. Um, And this idea of walking, it's all over the Bible. It starts off in the beginning, in the law, when God is first meeting Israel and establishing them as a nation. It is the way that kings' lives in the narrative history of Israel are kind of spoken over. Like, this king walked in the way of the Lord. This king did not walk. Um, And and even in the New Testament, writers pick up on this. And walking is 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 a very regular expression. So walking might be boring, but it, it, it's, it's distinctly human, and it's very biblical. It describes um, how we do life. So today, we're going to think about walking in Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And we'll only see this word, this word walking, one time. But really, the whole passage is about walking, because walking is about how you live your life. And that's what this passage is about. So before I read it, I want to kind of give you how I see it and how I think God wants us to see it this morning. If I could uh, show my um, main point here. I think that this passage is saying that belonging to Jesus means walking in the love of Jesus. When we belong to Jesus, it means that we walk in the love of Jesus. And uh, we can think about this passage uh, in two kind of sections. Next slide. Um, Verses 1 through 4 are about... Uh, what we want as we walk, and then the big second chunk is about what we do as we walk. So let's read this together, uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore... As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're here because we want um, to be renewed in hope to be renewed in faith. We want to meet you afresh, Jesus. We want to learn what it is to to, to walk in your love. 
And we want to change and we want to be conformed to walking more in your love because we know that's where life is. We know that's where light is and that's what we want to walk in. So I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned, I think that the big idea here is that belonging to Jesus means walking in the love of Jesus. But as we look at these first four verses, you may be wondering, I don't see any language of belonging and I don't see any language of walking. So where am I getting, where am I getting this, this big idea from? So first, let's start with belonging. The language of belonging is kind of a thing now. Uh, I'm, it's gaining, this idea is gaining popularity. I'm hearing it more in the education world. That's kind of the world that I live in. I'm a teacher. And I hear school board and, and principals talking about how do we make our students, how can we help them belong? And if you are a student or you are at a workplace where the people at the top kind of care about and try to cultivate the experience of the people in their building, then they're maybe also thinking about belonging these days. And I'm definitely not super well read on this, but from what I have read and heard, uh, this is kind of my best attempt to capture what people mean by belonging, why it's so, why it's gaining popularity, why people are so interested in it. It's uh, maybe a feeling of authentically being part of something bigger than themselves. I think this is a helpful definition for two reasons. One, I think it's helpful because it's good. I think it's good to try and work to help kids or people uh, authentically take part in something bigger than themselves. I want to do that in the classroom for my students. The other reason why I think it's helpful is because I think it starts to help us see how the belonging that we long for and that we love at the communal level with people, it starts to hint and shade at the the longing that we have to authentically take part in something ultimate, God himself. That's kind of like within us. We we long to take part in that. And so it kind of sets us up almost to to see uh, in in these passages what belonging means on a spiritual level. So look at at these, these first four verses, the way that Paul describes our relationship with Jesus. You can see it on this next slide. So if you have been raised with Christ, verse one, verse three, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you see what Paul's doing here? Paul is under no impression that anyone in the Colossian church, which is who he's writing to in this letter, or any of us have actually been buried and, and raised with Christ. He's not talking about literal. What he's saying is that when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus... His story becomes our story. We actually take part in his life. And that sounds weird. Like you can share life with people, but to to actually, your life to be hidden within someone or to take part in someone's life, that's kind of not normal or strange. We don't really understand what that means. But I want want us to to feel and to know this morning that that's really good news. our, our stories on their own are incomplete. Incomplete at best and a, at a total mess at worst. Um, this is the case uh, because we live our stories out without its author. Our disobedience or our total disregard for God, it alienates us from God, the author. It, it makes him foreign to us. And without God, the Bible describes us as spiritually dead. And that kind of makes sense. If you don't have the source of spiritual life, then you can't be spiritually alive. How can you be wet without water or without any other kind of liquid? So without God, 
We bear the fruit of spiritual deadness. We're stuck in darkness without real light. We're guilty and ashamed without real hope. We are abused and oppressed without a real rescuer. But when we trust Jesus, we belong to him. We take part in him and his story actually becomes our story. Earlier in the letter, Colossians 2, I have it in the next slide. Um, This is what it describes for those who become spiritually alive in Jesus. And you, when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. When we trust in Jesus, his death on the cross becomes our death to trusting in our own self, to trusting in the works that we have or haven't done. When we trust in Jesus, his resurrection becomes our life, holy, faultless, blameless before him as his own children. And when we trust in Jesus, the glory that he has when he comes again, he'll share with us and will fully, finally, and perfectly enjoy him in his new creation forever. As one commentator put it, as I was was looking at stuff, for what is to be more desired by us than this? That our life remain with the very fountain of life. We've gone from lost and dead to taking part, authentically taking part in God himself and his purposes for the whole cosmos. So the language of belonging is nowhere to be found in this passage, but the concept is just everywhere. And it's the same thing with walking. Um, Nowhere uh, is walking mentioned, but as as we talked about earlier, walking is an idiom for how we live our life. And these verses are about what we want as we live our life. Look at the logic. Look at verse 1. Look at the logic. If you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things above. Or another translation says, then set your hearts on things above. Um, In other words, if you belong to Jesus, then desire the things of Jesus as you walk through life. Strive to set your heart and mind on the things above. But what are the things above? It doesn't really clarify exactly. It doesn't say the things above are. Um, I think that the things above encompass a ton of things in the Christian life. We'll see practical examples. We did see that in the later verses, verses 12 through 17. Uh, But broadly, I think... We can think about setting ourselves on the things above with, uh, as life with God. Not leaving God behind in our, in our hopes, our joys, our dreams, our struggling, our suffering, uh, but walking with God. Um, thinking that setting ourselves on the things above is striving to walk with God. And notice how this is mutually exclusive, or it's, it's, it's opposed to a life that desires most of all the things of earth. A comfortable retirement, to be liked in school, someone to love, a house to care for, a healthy body, or on a really uh, small scale, completed tasks, completed daily tasks. Does that sound kind of drab to you? Like Paul's asking us to, all the things that interest us, all the things that like occupy our mind, does does it seem like Paul's saying, you're not allowed to think about these things? I don't think that's what Paul's saying. 
Paul's not saying don't look at the things in earth or of earth. He's saying that when you look at them, look at them from heaven downward. Um, remember that, uh, that Jesus' story is our story. And, it, and it's, it reminds us here that when he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of God in heaven. And that means that Jesus uh, created, controls, and cares for um, everything, retirements, school life, marriage, housing, health, even your daily tasks. But he, he does that as they relate to him and as they relate to his purposes in our lives and in the world. And so as people who belong to Jesus, who are hidden with Jesus, we also care a lot about retirement, about housing, about marriage, about school, but only as they relate to him and his purposes in our lives and in the world. And, and what I want us to see is that this makes a lot of sense. Like this is, this is right. Jesus is not stepping on our toes by telling us what we should desire. If we really believe the gospel, the good news, that we are worse, far worse than we realize, and, and yet far more loved than we could imagine, uh, then, then Jesus is inviting us uh, into walk in that truth. To, to, um, he's inviting us to, um, to find not just our salvation, but all of life in a God who loves us so much that he wants us, that he came to earth and walked with us so that we could walk with him through life. That he even not just walked with us or didn't walk, just walk on earth, but that he died and gave himself up. Not just so that we could uh, have feelings of security for eternity, but so that we could learn what it's like to live in his life and to love what he loves. Uh, God isn't kind of like a, uh, uh, a selfish teacher or boss who kind of expects people to like him because him or her because they're in a place of authority. That's not what God is like. God is like a, a parent uh, who, who maybe a parent of a, or a guardian of somebody that they've taken in, a child that they've taken in and given a lot, sacrificed a lot uh, so that they could be with them in their family. Uh, and he wants to, this parent or guardian, God, he wants to know the joys and sorrows and live life alongside of the child that he's welcomed into his life. So, we are to desire that, to desire walking with God. What does that actually look like? To stoke our desires, to, to strive, to seek. Um, our small group practices this rhythm of um, men and women breaking up like maybe once a month uh, to share blessings, burdens, uh, bring sins into the, to the light. And uh, one of our, the tools in our tool belt, when somebody's sharing about maybe something hard, is, is trying to help them process and ask, where is God in this for you? Where is God? How are you thinking about uh, how God is present in your life circumstances? But I think this text actually goes one step further. It doesn't just say, think about where God is in your circumstance. It actually says, how are you desiring God and his ways more than anything else in your situation? More than anything, more than any person, more than any status. Some of the struggles that we experience uh, in the Christian life are because of a conflict of desires. We want to belong to Jesus, but if we're honest, we really don't want to live for Jesus. We don't really desire the things above. Uh, an obvious example of this, it would be um, when we feel trapped in a pattern of sin. For example, a man with a lying problem. 
Maybe he wants to belong to Jesus, but he doesn't want to give up the control or the sense of control that lying seems to give him. His struggle isn't so much of action, lying, it's one of desire. He doesn't want heavenly things. He doesn't want to bring God along in all the things that he feels the need to lie in. But I also think that there's a less obvious example here. Maybe we don't have a blatant or obvious pattern of sin in our life, uh, but maybe there is uh, an area of tension or difficulty or anxiety. Um, And maybe it's because we actually want something more than uh, to walk with God or heavenly things. For example, uh, there could be a woman who uh, wants to belong to Jesus but has a certain dream, career, family. And as time has gone on, that dream has been unrealized and anxieties have mounted and tension or relational uh, friction has increased in her life. Um, and that, that may be because her desire or her dream has actually become an earthly thing. She's left God behind in, in wanting that good thing. She, she's yearning for that more than life with God. Uh, and, and so there's areas of our life that we might need to confess that we've actually uh, desired earthly things and not heavenly things. We've desired to leave God behind um, and move on without him, whether consciously or unconsciously. But, but Paul is reminding us here that, that it's part of the Christian life to realize that about ourselves, to confess it, and to move forward. That's why we have the command in Scripture. The Colossians might be struggling with this. And so Paul is coming to them, and he's not saying, I don't know if you're a Christian. You're, you're thinking about earthly things. He's saying, you belong to Jesus. So strive after, um, after the heavenly things. And remember that you belong to Jesus. If you're sitting there and you're convicted... I've been, I've been yearning after heavenly things and nowhere has God been in sight. Remember that you belong to Jesus who left heaven, the heavenly realm, and actually came to earth, not seeking earthly things, but to seek and to save you. Always looking at you from heaven downward, perfectly doing the will of the Father so that your story could be his story and his story could be your story. That means he will give you strength as you strive towards heavenly things and and aim to leave behind um, your earthly obsessions. So belonging to Jesus means walking in the love of Jesus and that that entails what we want. That's the first four four verses. It's about our desires. But walking in the love of Jesus uh, isn't just about our our minds. It's about our actions, what we do. Uh, And that's what this big chunk, 5 through 17, focuses on. And it kind of breaks down pretty easily for us into the things that we are not to do. As you walk with Jesus, here's what the things that you don't do. And the things that we do or we put on, here are the things that you do as you walk with Jesus. It's worth mentioning before we kind of dig into these lists that this is this is not the way that people in our public spaces think today. That that um, when they say life is a journey, what they mean is that uh, uh, life has twists and turns, and as you choose your own path, it's going to be exciting. You know, there's going to be all the feels, uh, but you're going to like it's going to be a, it's a journey. But but we got to remember when God says life is a journey. When the Bible tells us life is a journey, it's saying you have two paths before you, the righteous path and the unrighteous path. And as Christians, we trust that what God has told us is good and what God has told us is bad is right, that that's true. Despite what we feel, despite what other voices around us are saying, that that there's no clear path. There's actually a middle road. 
That might, be, that might be what we hear today, but that's not how the Bible talks. There is no middle road. You either walk down the path with God or you walk away from the path with God towards life or towards death. So as we get to the, the first list here, the, the things that we are to put off as we walk in the love of Jesus, let's see how it starts. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. That's pretty vivid. Well, it makes me think of, I probably every time I preach here, I, I reference something from the show alone. It's a great show about survival. But I'm thinking of this, uh, this one season where the guy, uh, he shot a musk ox, which is like, which is like, you, nobody does that on this show. Like you can't, it's really hard to, to, cause you're out there in the wilderness, you're by yourself. It's hard to even find a musk ox, much harder to actually shoot one. So he, he shot the musk ox, but it didn't die. And so, and, and all these scenes in the show, you set up your own camera. So like all the camera work is like as good as you can do it. So he has this camera set up and the musk ox is like on the ground, like, like fighting death. And he like runs by and stabs it and then like runs, runs back. Cause he's trying to put it out of its misery. Uh, he's trying to eat. Um, so, so he's, he's running by, he's stabbing it. And, and that's, that might be really, Vivid, more vivid than you thought you'd get this morning. Uh, but that's kind, of, that's kind of what Paul is saying. He's being really vivid. Put to death what, is earthly, uh, what is, belongs to your earthly nature. <clears throat> so actually, we're going we're gonna to read the list again. And as we read the list again, I want you to open yourself up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Um, where are the places in your life where instead of putting to death the sin that is already wounded, that is ready to be put to death, where instead are you leaving it, nurturing it, maybe even feeding it? Uh, and so we're going to read this, and I, and I want, you know, maybe you read it too, maybe you close your eyes, but ask the Lord, like, is there anything in my, in my walk with you that I've been passive on, that you've called me to be um, aggressive towards defeating? Sexual immorality. Impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming against, uh, is coming upon the disobedient, in which you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. Do you see the language that he uses? Since you have put on, put off the old self with its practices and have already put on the new self. We are not killing sin in order to earn the new self. The reason, the reason we strive is not in order to belong to Jesus, but it is because we belong to Jesus. When someone goes from unemployed to employed, say as a mechanic, they do the duties of a mechanic, changing oil, fixing things, not too acquainted with what mechanics do, aside from the fact that they take care of cars. Uh, but he, does, they do, he or she does those things as a mechanic. They are already a mechanic, and so they do those things. Um, and in the same way, uh, you and I Put to death sin because we belong to Jesus. And just like a good mechanic tries to get better at his craft or her craft, um, 
because because there's something innately valuable to being better at what you do. Uh, there's something for us as we kill sin. It's right here in verses uh, 10 and 11. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. If you're in Christ, you are being renewed or remade into the image of Jesus. Your killing sin is remaking, your in, from you, remaking you from the inside out. And in verse 11, it says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all, is all and in all. Paul is saying that in the end, the only distinction that really matters for us is whether we are in Christ or out of Christ, remade or not remade, because God is not just changing how you live. God is remaking for himself a new humanity. God is not just changing you, changing your habits, because he just doesn't like some of the things you do. He's actually remaking you as he remakes and reconstitutes a new group of humans who are made in his image and not made or not found into the image of Adam, the image that's corrupt. Um, but but this, this remaking of us and the remaking of the world, we're not just people of do-nots. If that was the case, uh, then maybe the popular character of Christianity or Christians who don't know how to have fun and judge everyone who does, uh, maybe that might be true. But, but God doesn't take away anything without giving us something better. And so his, his list of do-nots or putting off are actually followed up with a, a list of putting on. What are we supposed to do? That's good, true, and beautiful in place of what is broken. And while we, while we read the list of vices, I asked you to open yourself up to the Spirit's conviction. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to read the list of virtues. And I also want you to open yourself up but to the joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, in the, this list is a glorious invitation. It's a glorious invitation. I know it is. It's somewhere in my notes. I wanted to say it the way that I wrote it. Come on. I can't find it. Oh, it's a glorious invitation to walk in the way of the Lord and to be renewed in his image, in his life. Andrew, that wasn't that great. Why did you want to say it like that? Um, But I, I really want, as we read this, for our desires and our imaginations to be stoked. This is what God has for us. So let, let's read it again. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, belonging to him, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against you. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity and that the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. Believing in Jesus, belonging to Jesus, means that you and me are empowered to do all of these things. Just like his death and resurrection has brought sin to the ground, ready to be taken out, 
Jesus' death and resurrection has brought virtue near, ready to be put on, like your favorite shirt. That's the metaphor that Paul's using here, put on. It, uh, it almost sounds too easy. Like I can really put on, I can really let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Like I go to my drawer, pick out my blue cotton tee that I like with the pocket on it and just put it on. Um, remember that you, you do belong to Jesus if you believe in Jesus. And his story has become your story. Uh, this is, a, a, again, going back to Colossians 2. I want this, this statement to kind of uh, land on us with its full force. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is head over every ruler and authority. My prayer is that this morning, as we've been thinking about walking, as we've looked at what God has called us away from and called us to, is that this would hit us afresh. That his love and his strength, which is with us as we walk, that that, that would motivate us, empower us, excite us to chase after what these list of things in verses 12 through 17 and to run away from the things in the list that was prior. That my, my prayer is that we would be a people who forgive each other because we know that fundamentally at the core of who we are, we've been forgiven, even though there's no way that we earned it or deserve it. That we would be a people united by genuine love uh, for those around us in the church that God is also remaking and those outside of the church who are also made in the image of God. That we'd be a people whose hearts are ruled by the peace of Jesus and not overcome with fears and anxieties of the world. That we'd be people who love God's word because it brings us close to the creator and, the, and our redeemer and brings us close to each other. And that over all these things that we would be a people marked by overflowing gratitude. Thankful in seasons of plenty. Thankful in seasons of lack. Thankful in seasons of backbreaking work. Thankful in seasons of rest. Thankful in seasons of health, thankful in seasons of sickness, thankful in life, and even thankful in death. Thankful because we know that at all times, in all ways, in all places in our life, our story is Jesus' story, and Jesus' story is a story of resurrection and life and love. And he's given that to us to enjoy for now and for all of eternity.